It's Friday, December the 4th, 2020, and welcome to Asia Pacific Today. I'm Mike Ryan. Today we look at the great con. It's called climate change. Our guest is a bombastic foe of the Greens, and well done, Mark Morano. Kirk Clyatt joins us from the Glitter Strip, without the glitter. Paul Dimitina, great Aussie footballer, successful business owner, and a Melbourne guy who is as mad as hell and fed up with the continual supply of crap from Dan Andrews and his government in Victoria. What you're about to see is disturbing. Please watch with caution and then use a liberal sprinkling of holy water to exercise the climate change demons. Mr. Ford, you said you've flown up the coast for a cheeseburger. What changes have you made in your personal life to fight climate change? You flew up the coast to get a cheeseburger, you said. You frequently do. What's your comment? I'm a vegetarian now, thank you. Now, okay. We're here outside the United Nations Climate Summit in Madrid, and we see a lot of uh, vegan, don't eat meat, uh, be vegan, go green, save the planet. Here you see, please don't eat me, with a picture of a cow and a pig. Uh, there's only one problem. Inside is a thriving Burger King inside the delegation that is constantly packed and serving nothing but meat. How dare you? They don't even offer uh, Burger King's fake meat uh, substitute, the Impossible Burger. It's impossible to include that here at the UN Climate Summit. As UN delegates gobble up cows inside at the Burger King. One other question, there's a Burger King here at the summit. Do you have any comment on that? It's lined up with people buying hamburgers. The UN says eating meat is dangerous. No comment? We're here at the United Nations Climate Summit in Madrid. This year, the United Nations issued a report warning of the dangers of eating meat. Other people have warned that eating meat is like pointing a loaded gun at the planet. Well, United Nations climate delegates, thousands of them, have been lining up here at the Burger King on site, here at the United Nations Summit. What gives? Are they practicing what they're preaching? We've checked. This Burger King does not have the Impossible Burger or the fake meat burger. How dare you? Only offering cows, actual beef. United Nations climate activists have a lot to answer for. Should they have a Burger King here, Mr. Ford? Mark Morano, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mike. Happy to be here today. Look, tell us more about CFACT and the work it does. Well, CFACT was started in 1985. It's the Committee for a Constructive Tomorrow. And one of the things we've done is gone on college campuses. We have groups, uh, collegiates uh, across the country. And our essential message has been free market environmentalism. And we've been doing that for decades. I joined in uh, 2009 after working for the United States Senate Environment and Public Works Committee. But the general message is this. If you want a clean environment, if you want an earth that's happy where you can peacefully coexist, then you want free markets and economic growth because that's how you clean up the environment. And if you don't believe that, 
go to the places with the most state control. Look at the old Eastern Bloc in, the, in, in Europe under the Soviet domination. Look at the Soviet Union. Look at the poor nations that have no uh, infrastructure or um, fossil fuel development. You're going to have rivers that are polluted, trees that are slash and burn, cooking in huts, uh, burning dung and wood and breathing in horrible air and high infant mortality rates. And you're going to be you have species driven to extinction because you don't have uh, modern techniques and industry and the, the beauty of fossil fuel power that's that's basically powers uh, the engine of economic growth. And that's is the message of CFAC. That's the message of my website, Climate Depot, which is a, 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 a project of CFAC. Climate Hustle 2 is about the global warming scam, the powerful forces behind it, the creation of a climate monarchy. Who are the monarchs and what do they want? <laughs> Very good question. Well, the monarchs of today, what we've done is, is this an unelected sort of ruling class, if you will, and the monarchs are everyone from Prince Charles to the United Nations chief to the UN climate chief to Al Gore to all the, to, to all the media outlets which promote the so-called climate emergency. And essentially, there's one set of rules for the ruling class. We're finding this with you know, the COVID lockdowns in, in America. Mayors, governors are, are literally stripping away people's ability to get together during holidays. And yet they themselves are traveling, violating the rules, going out to restaurants to eat, going out without masks, all this stuff. The same rule there where in climate world, the former UN climate chief, Regenda Pachari, said he lived at 30,000 feet, flying around the world, fighting global warming. Leonardo DiCaprio. The same thing. Said so he'll fly anywhere in the world to, to battle global warming uh, where he's needed. So there's a, a ruling class that has a disconnect, and they sit around and they they put up they come up with rules for the masses. And the masses can't use power from fossil fuels. In the United States, we've had proposals to ban the uh, private ownership of vehicles and instead have a fleet of electric roving cars. They're putting restrictions on home building. They're putting restrictions on every aspect of our lives as they themselves live very lavishly because they're, in a, lack of a better phrase, the ruling class. And that's what we're finding uh, with in the movie we go through and we show you the hypocrisy. We show you the history. It actually opens up at Louis Versailles Palace in France. And we talk about how essentially the, the ruling class is going to be controlling the masses in a vision that they have. It's an ideology they're imposing upon the world. Uh, with climate and now with COVID as well. And COVID and climate are merging. The opening of the film actually has uh, the COVID climate connection. If you love the COVID lockdowns, you're going to love the coming climate lockdowns. And they're already talking about that here in the United States. The film suggests that most of them are not even interested in CO2. No, they're not. This has nothing to do with the science. I went to Greenland with the EU climate commissioner, Connie Hedegaard, and her famous quote was, even if we're wrong on the science, we're going to be doing the right thing by policy. So did you get that? Even if they're wrong, it doesn't matter whether the science is right or wrong. They want to do this policy. And what it is, and we go back, if you go back to every previous environmental scare, overpopulation, resource scarcity, famine, global cooling, they all have the same solution. And that was more government control, more central planning, more sovereignty limiting uh, treaties imposed upon nations. And that's what they want. So that's the solutions. They don't really care whether it's global warming, global cooling, overpopulation. 
they are, global warming is merely the latest environmental scare that has the same exact agenda going back 50 years. In Australia, billions of state and federal dollars are being spent on renewables subsidies. Our politicians now, I probably know the answer to this one, but I've got to ask you anyway so that we get it you know, almost in sure. writing. Are politicians, first of, all, first of all, are they naughty, but are politicians and bureaucrats benefiting financially from their policies and will any of this ever, ever be exposed? You know, it's, it's getting harder and harder to expose it given the, the media's duplicity and is not interested in showing it. In the United States, we had all that investment. We had President Obama's big, you know, almost $100 billion green stimulus bill. We ended up with things like Solyndra and other failed companies. In fact, studies have shown that the investors never got their money back. The government didn't. It was the problem with this is they want to ban energy that's life-saving and worked and has powered our economic engine, and that's coal, oil, gas. Well, they want to ban the energy that works, and they want to mandate the energy that's not yet ready for prime time. I don't like to have it a battle like, we can't have renewables, we got to go with it. No, you can let it all decide, but just let them compete. And people say, oh, well, solar and wind have many more jobs. Well, they have, yes, you can have more people employed in the solar and wind industry, but the energy they produce is at a fraction of a percent or a few single digits a percent of global energy, I call it the 3% solution. They want to turn solar and wind, which is 3% of global energy production, according to the latest numbers, and they want to turn that into essentially the dominant energy forces, because they're certainly not for nuclear. This is the problem we face. Uh, it's, it's not based on reality. And what they want to do essentially is crash economies and remold society. And that's what, when I go to these UN summits, they talk openly about planned recessions to fight global warming and degrowth movement. And by the way, what is a COVID lockdown but a planned recession? What mm. is the Green New Deal but a planned recession? Mm. Mm. Of course, the, Joe won't uh, shut down industry, especially in Pennsylvania. He'll keep that going. Hang on. I, I just saw a pig fly by, so we'll give that one a miss. <laughs> look, can, look, can you explain? Oh, there goes another pig. Can you explain that Global Reset, its ultimate objective and its most powerful advocates? Most powerful advocate, well, starting as Klaus Schwab. And Klaus Schwab, he's the founder of the World Economic Forum. In June of 2020, this year, he announced that the global reset of capitalism. And he basically said, we cannot allow a return to the new normal. And Joe Biden has said, we're going to build back better. There have been other phrases, you know, net zero has been accused. They're all essentially one of the same thing. They're going to remake society. They've waited. In much the way anyone, you know, I, you know, people call them ambulance chasers. In other words, they wait for some kind of issue or crisis to come along, like a bad weather event and climate or like a virus and COVID. And they're using this great reset concept to come in and essentially collapse the system and then rebuild it in their image. And that image is something they've had in mind for decades. The World Economic Forum, which is at the heart of this, is going to have a summit in, in uh, Davos, Switzerland. Al Gore is coming with a lot of his organization. Prince Charles attends them. This is what we talked about originally, Mike, the monarchy. They're coming together and they're planning what we, the masses, are going to live like. And they actually say, you in a few years, you will not own private property but you'll be happy. That's a World Economic Forum uh, video that's out. So essentially, by taking away all the small independent businesses right now through lockdowns and eventually through climate emergency restrictions and lockdowns and the same thing through Green New Deal, they're getting rid of anyone who might dissent. 
So all we're going to be left with is big corporations, the Facebook, the Google, the Walmarts, and chain stores. And they're the ones that are going to go along with the Great Reset. And by the way, they're already talking about things like immunity passports. Here in the United States, you won't be able to go to a concert. Employers in Europe are going to demand a pass, you know, a vaccine before you can get a job. They're talking about uh, you know, a social credit system, sort of based on the Chinese system, where you're going to be evaluated as a citizen. And if you're not you know, wearing your mask, social distancing, supporting the lockdowns, have your vaccine, got your test, and you're not going along with the system, you're not going to be you're going to be an outlier in the system and they can punish you because they're all going to be one. And that's the thing that we found with, you know, with the riots here in America, everything from every corporation went on board. The boards, they're all woke to use that phrase. And we've crushing all the independents and they don't care if they destroy the restaurant industry or economies because then they replace that with government checks. So we're already seeing that universal basic income, the guaranteed annual income from government. That's one of the big tenants. And what a better way to get that by crushing endless lockdowns, killing people's economic life. And then, but hey, you get big checks from the government and they own you at that point. It's uh, really interesting, the the global reset. Um, they've got to have a media arm. And in the US, for example, 90% of the media is run by basically six corporations. Uh, what, what more do they need? Because like a good advertising campaign, you never see one spot. You see 30 or 60 or mm-hmm. 100. And if you keep telling, 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 telling and ignoring the facts, what happens at the end of the day is that like a good advertising campaign, it works. It absolutely works. It's, you know, yeah, I think you're referring to when this whole, uh, yeah, the COVID-19 mm. lockdown started back in March, all the corporations, there was a video out that literally put about a dozen or more of all the major corporations in these uncertain times. It was literally the same phrases, images. It's this sort of corporate speak that descends and they don't like the independent shops here in uh, the United States, New York City, a restaurant owner opened in defiance of the governor, just said, we're going to have indoor dining. And they ended up sending in squads of police, undercover officers, arrested them, shut it down. They do not allow the dissent. And interestingly, the people making these decisions, we opened up talking about the monarchy. In terms of lockdowns, and I keep talking about lockdowns because it's the greatest tool of the regulatory state probably in 100 years. I can't think of anything better. And this is like the greatest tool they could ever have. Scare Mm. the public. You're going to die unless you follow this. But the lockdowns are are crushing everything about liberty, freedom, and we literally gave up all of our rights overnight almost, and they were not done with a vote. All these were mostly done by public health bureaucrats who we never knew their name and via executive order. Has social media been the great enabler of these campaigns? Because, and, and it's very cynical of me to think that social media is just crap, but yeah, you know, it, it really has something to offer. I've yet to see what it is except for lies. I, I don't know which way we're going to go because if we can't control, I mean, here we are, we're controlling, we're saying don't control something and we're saying we need to control it. So it's sort of a, an oxymoron there, isn't there? It is. There's a couple of issues with the social media. I, too, at one point thought, well, you know, if you don't like Twitter, you don't like Facebook, just go to the competition. Uh, it doesn't work that way. They crush mm. all the competition. Mm. They were given a special exemption by the mm. government to be able to do this. So uh, the analogy was if Ma Bell, if you had a telephone in the 60s and 70s, it'd be like equivalent of them monitoring your private phone calls and then telling you, you can't say this, your prone privileges are taken away, you can't talk to this person, you're not allowed to do that, we're gonna put a warning label on your next call. Mm. 
they were given all of these protections by the government because they were supposed to be free, open, and unfettered. That's all radically changed just in the last few years. Mm. Now, if you say something against lockdowns, you get a warning saying that YouTube, for instance, if, you're, if you say anything that's not in agreement with what the World Health Organization claims on COVID, you will be banned. Your video will be removed. The World Health Organization, run by a guy named Tedros, who's declared global warming the greatest threat in 2000, I think it was 2018, is one of the most political organizations dominated by Chinese influence. And YouTube has decided that if you say anything against that disagrees with one of their conclusions, you don't have a voice on the social media. So it is a huge problem. This is how they're crushing our ability to even dissent at this point. Now, look, because you disagree with everything that they're saying, and basically you are just despicable and, <laughs> yes. and probably most evil, so I will send you over a bottle of holy water later on just to gargle on. But, <laughs> but I mean, I need to know, I mean, because we've got to find out these things. What sort of censorship have you experienced? I would imagine the full gambit, and that's why you're loved so much. <laughs> yes. I mean, I've been shadow banned on Twitter. We had our movie Climate Hustle 2 out. It was very difficult to get it through, um, you know, all the social media sites. I mean, it, they just absolutely crush and crush constant dissent. I have been invited. There was a time where I was invited on CNN probably more than a half a dozen times to debate Bill Nye. I ended up debating him twice, but once on CNN, once on Fox. But it's amazing how every single time they would do it, then it would go up the decision chain and they would then cancel me from being on the air. Uh, I've had so many debates where I've showed up on a TV station and the other opponent has canceled at the last second. And my appearance is either canceled or they, you know, they have put me on for a very short segment. Um, it's and, and same thing. I have a book out, Politically Incorrect Guide to Climate Change, which ran into a lot of uh, the same type of stuff where people say the book where it's placed. There's all sorts of subtle things they do. But mostly right now, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, social media, they can just wipe out a message they don't like. And that's why you're seeing things like Parler grow up, uh, come up and try to compete with it. But it's very interesting to see. I don't know that that uh, is going to be able to happen uh, only because things like Parler, it turns out to be an echo chamber. It's just talking to other you know, fellow free mind, free thinking people who don't want that censorship. But you sort of lose the impact when you leave the main uh, things. But they are really doing a good job of silencing dissent on these platforms. Now we get to the, uh, the China, we say in Australia, the, the China uh, issue. Yeah. What do you make of China's role in the global warming scam? Do you think, again, I may be shocked with your answer here because I think they're wonderful people. I mean, the government CCP is just yeah. a, a model government for our future. Uh, do you think they've benefited enormously from the global warming scam? Because they are practicing it, aren't they? They're installing brand new state-of-the-art coal stations. Yes, they are. They just keep cranking out the coal stations. They are eager to sign on to the UN Paris Cl Climate Pact. Why? because they didn't have to do a darn thing. There was an analysis that showed it would take, you know, about 2030, their emissions would peak and then stabilize. So China said, hey, you know, maybe 2030 will, you know, will peak our emissions. They did nothing different. So they get to continue to do this, whereas the United States under President Obama took all these most severe commitments. China is the model 
for the climate activists. People like uh, uh, Paul Krugman in New York Times has written that the Chinese government with their one party rule can just do what's right for the people without all the roadblocks and all the dissent and all the, all the stalling tactics. In other words, they don't like the messiness of democracy. So the climate activists love China and the COVID activists, frankly, love China. And you know, that's how we got the lockdown. Remember, just to keep in mind, lockdowns never existed in any of the public health protocols prior to uh, the, the COVID-19. But we saw people, the propaganda videos from China, people getting hit nails, nailed into their homes, people dropping dead in the street. And by golly, that was coming and we had to lock down too. And this is the way China, through the World Health Organization, has literally reshaped the world. And they're gonna greatly benefit because China's gonna be the manufacturer of the world and probably the lone superpower one day here. What other means could be used to support the global reset, such as, because we've, we've enjoyed this you know, pandemic so, so much, maybe another wave or a new pandemic. Is that the, uh, another way of uh, supporting the global reset? Yes. I mean, here's the bottom line. The climate activists are jealous. They spent decades, oh, the polar bear this, or oh, look at that, or Florida could be underwater, or all the islands are going to disappear, or, uh, you know, oh, it's going to be so hot that people are going to die in 2070 from some heat wave, and, you know, never heard of air conditioning. But none of it had an impact. You had Greta Thunberg, that was her last cries at the UN summit, just frustrated, telling, real telling the UN reality that no one really was that concerned and even Gallup polling in the US from late 1980s until current time concern and worry is the word worry over global warming never changed people could say oh yeah I, I, I believe in climate change is a different question but none of that changed so what happened was they got jealous when COVID came along COVID has been so successful it's hard to believe they're going to let that go I think what's going to happen is climate issue will now become secondary and part of the COVID issue. And we already have our climate envoy, John Kerry, set to take over here in the United States. And he has said that zoonotic diseases, you know, in other words, diseases that come from animals will increase. Uh, and that will cause, unless we do something about climate change because we're encroaching on the animal world or some such thing. So they're gonna now say we have to solve climate because climate will make viruses worse. But I do believe that the viral threats have been what the, the progressive uh, regulatory left has been looking for for 50 years. They found it and they're not letting it go for anything in the world. They're gonna keep this going indefinitely. This is their dream state, regulating every aspect of human life down to weddings, funerals, backyard barbecues. They're not giving it up. Well, I'm a bit disappointed. I heard that word or the words backyard barbecues. Now, you know, that's a national pastime uh, down under. So yeah. we'll have to call out our army. Now, we've got submarines, by the way, at the moment, which are 50 years old or whatever. But we do let the enemy know that we're coming. So they're pretty noisy things. Hey, look, what can be done to dismantle these th these threats uh, to democracy and personal freedom? It's really hard because you've got, as I said, 90 percent of the media if not more, are, are spreading this, the, the word out. They're just pumping this information out. Uh, they're demonizing people like yourself. I mean, I'm amazed that you, know, you have electricity right now. You know, maybe they've <laughs> turned off your windmill. I mean, yeah. how do we get the message out? How do we stop this from happening? 
don't laugh. I mean, in California, if you have a party in your house and you exceed the whatever it is, eight person, 10 person limit in the different households, they've, they're cutting the water off. They're, they're stopping your utilities, your electricity. This is the Chinese social credit system. This is what they've invented in China. It's spreading around the West. You have to be a good citizen, the dutiful citizen. How do you fight it? You've got to set the terms. You've got to go after the narrative. Uh, one great way, President Trump had a guy named Dr. Scott Atlas, who essentially replaced Fauci as his lead COVID advisor. Dr. Scott Atlas got it. He railed against lockdowns. He railed against case counting. The whole COVID thing, we have it wrong. Uh, to see Victoria, to see New Zealand, to see all these places uh, across you know, Israel, to see England, to see South America, these countries in the U.S. and Canada, locking down to try to get to zero cases. It's insane. It makes no sense. The best words of advice, Alex Berenson, former New York Times writer who's written a book now on COVID and masks, he says that the virus is going to virus. And no matter what government does, you're not going to be able to control a virus unless you're controlling people to a level that, again, I don't think George Orwell envisioned this. So the way to fight back is to resist. And I give you this, the Berlin Wall in East Germany didn't fall because parliament in East German parliament voted to tear it down. It fell because the people of East Germany no longer gave it their consent. And that's what's needed across the globe. People have to stop giving consent to these kind of insane Sovietization regulations that we're enduring under lockdowns and what they want to impose for the climate emergency. Now, if somebody wants to find out, Mark, how to Get hold of Climate Hustle or Climate Hustle 2. How do we do that? You go to Climate Hustle 2, the number or the word, dot com, climatehustle2.com. You can actually watch Climate Hustle 1 and 2 there. You can get a DVD there. Uh, and my website, climatedepot.com. I have the special report on the Great Reset at the top of the page. Uh, I also have the book, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Climate Change, which is your compendium of A to Z on the entire climate issue, lays out what the UN agenda is, what the Green New Deal is. Um, and, I, and you'll find out kids are indoctrinated from kindergarten through college. You'll find out about the hypocrisy. You'll find out um, all about every issue from uh, polar bears and floods and hurricanes and droughts and tornadoes and CO2 levels. And I interview Nobel Prize winning scientists and I have Ivy League scientists. I have former NASA scientists. I have former UN scientists, both in the Climate Hustle 2 movie and in the, uh, the book. Described lovingly as one of only five criminals against humanity, against <laughs> planet Earth itself. And I, this is the part I love, a bombastic foe of the Greens. Love it. Mark Morano, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Nearly every day, we hear dire predictions about climate change from the media establishment, Hollywood, and politicians. They tell us that the world is coming to an end because normal human activity is raising the temperature to dangerous levels. To avoid a hellish apocalypse, they warn us we must immediately change our lifestyles and our very way of life. But are these sensational claims based on solid empirical science? Do the facts line up with the hype? Well, an increasing number of scientists are becoming skeptical. We covered what many of these scientists had to say in our first groundbreaking film, Climate Hustle. From overhyped claims about severe weather events, temperatures, rising sea levels, and even disappearing polar bears, Climate Hustle peeled back the hype and looked at the facts, facts that simply don't add up to any reason for alarm. So this begs the questions. Why would those claiming a global warming catastrophe spread a false narrative? What would motivate them? Why would they try to hustle you? Are they trying to control the climate or you? 
Well, those are the questions we're going to explore in this film. And the answers may shock you. Order your DVD, Blu-ray, or digital copy today of Climate Hustle 2. This weekend of the narrative is Paul DiBettina, who has been making a lot of noise in Victoria and about the Andrews government. It's just not great at the minute. And uh, I mean, there's just the mental health impact, the mental health problems that are out there. You know, a lot of the police officers I talked to, they, they, they were going through, you know, a lot of stuff through COVID that they've never seen before. The amount of suicides have gone up again, that the government wants to crush all these, you know, the data around this. I don't want to talk about it. I mean, myself, I'm suffering some personal health battles at the moment and mm. all brought about stress and anxiety. And, you know, that's what uh, some of the some of the other the costs of what we've gone through is is the, the mental and the physical health problems that people are experiencing. Mm. The cost of the shutdowns has been horrendous. How do you see and count the costs on a personal and also on a wider level? I mean, personally, it's... Uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty strong and resilient. I'll come through my health. You know, that's that's a, that's another thing, and um, I'm working through that. Obviously, at the moment, I'm having weekly chemotherapy, and um, I'm starting to starting to turn the corner with my health. But it's been, um, you know, it has been a really really tough tough time for a lot of us down here. Just, I suppose, there's that emotional stress, there's physical stress, financial stress, and mm. once it all combines together, it, it can leave you in a pretty bad place. So. Um, and I can empathise with anyone that's that's going through it at the moment. So, uh, you know, you've got governments down here saying we're in this together. That's mm. just absolute rubbish that mm. we're not in it together. You know, our, our public sector um, all got pay rises through this period. You know, the rest of us have taken pay cuts. Our staff are taking pay cuts. And um, we just can't keep this welfare up forever. I mean, once JobKeeper goes and some of the Muppets down here in Victoria think that JobKeeper is actually coming from... Uh, Dan Andrews, I don't believe it's, and don't understand it's a federal government thing. How long do you think it'll take for the industry to recover its losses and how many businesses will close, do you think, permanently? At this stage, I'd say good 30 to 50% of small business here in Victoria are shut for good. Uh, they won't recover. Um, how long will the recovery take? I'm not sure. You know, the, um, everything centred around here in Victoria is all centred around major construction, uh, construction primary schools, all that sort of stuff. But I think our population boom here in Victoria is going to go the other way. Everyone wants to move. They want mm. to move to New South Wales. They want to move to southeast Queensland. So uh, I think some of this, uh, some of our infrastructure buildings are going to be a waste of time. We're just not going to have the population anymore. And also with, the, uh, with international travel too, uh, students are finding it almost impossible to come to school in Australia. Um, the, the tourists aren't coming, uh, and they're all, they're always an important part. I'll give you an example on uh, on the at the Gold Coast, for example, uh, the Corumban Wildlife Sanctuary. Uh, it relied on about sixty percent of business from international tourists. So you can imagine how they're doing. And if you move that to other businesses across the board, it's really really tough, isn't it? It is absolutely. Yep. The uh, the fallout. It'll continue for a while yet. I don't think our borders are going to open for you know a good six or eight months, maybe longer, uh, mm. to international tourists. So um, that's what Australia we really do rely, especially Queensland, that the, the tourism there, that you know, up Port Douglas, Cairns, all your you know, far north Queensland really do rely on not just the domestic tourism, but the internationals coming here to see some of the great wonders that Australia's got. 
It's very warm here where Kirk is. Not so warm, Kirk. From the glitter strip, there is no more glitter. Well, there's still some. It's just kind of bruised and battered and beat up. But there's talk. Some of the folks from Win Corporate think that you know we could have the Roaring Twenties return as uh, things hopefully go back to normal. But wow, Mike, I tell you what, a horrible winter. We have got in store. First of all, it's windy and cold here. I'm having flashbacks doing hurricane reports from the Atlantic coast during uh, during major storms. No, they were all, they were all green screen. <laughs> no. No, they were not. You know, I think that's one of the reasons I live in Las Vegas. I'm ha- I have weather PTSD from all those years out in storms. Ah, the tree is falling. The surf is pounding. Normally, things are very quiet here. We just have to say, wow, another day. It's 45. That's incredible. 45 is a little toasty. But uh, tonight, we're going down to minus one. Which wow. is real with with a wind, which is really cold for uh, Las Vegas. So, hi Ted. You know, Ted says he can't believe it. Um, which is kind of it's all happening. Um, Dogs barking, um, ducks right. quacking, Kirk ducks trying are, to talk. I can, I can see the ducks from where I am. We'll have to do one from the duck pen one day. But you know, the weather about as cold as the hearts of many Republicans. It is in. Just incredible what is going on here. And I found, you know, with Donald Trump, because he's tweeted. I was looking at the numbers the other day. I think he's tweeted. Ted, excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Ted, Ted, come on, babe. Not, it's just the wind. It, Ted is like so old. He's like he's a rescue dog. He's totally deaf. So he just responds to to uh, other types of, of stimuli. So he's like 15. Mm. He's been in a tough beginning of his life. That was he's good, though. Good he, you said he's okay. t- you said he's totally deaf, but you were saying, yeah. Ted, yeah. Ted, he couldn't hear you. Yeah. I'm exactly right. That is bizarre, isn't it? And uh, bye, Ted. Bye. He's leaving. He's going over to check out the ducks. That is absolutely true. But here, you know, I, I was looking at the number of Donald Trump tweets, and I'd love for you to follow me on Twitter. You know, Donald Trump and I have a lot of things in common, but I'm good, and he's evil. <laughs> so, you know, it's, so... <laughs> That's what we've got. You know, he's got about 52,000 tweets. I have approaching about 12,000 at Clyatt, C-L-Y-A-T-T. Here's one from two days before Christmas, four years ago, December 23rd, 2016. Donald Trump. Vladimir Putin said today about Hillary and the Dems, in my opinion, it's so humiliating. One must be able to lose with dignity. And Trump goes, so true. Clearly, he's not taking the advice from his own tweet of uh, four years ago, because this is just crazy. Even his attorney general yesterday, Bill Barr, came out. And of course, and they found no credible evidence that uh, there was any anything more than normal, irregular issues with regard to this election. And then you have somebody like Joe Gianova, D. D. Gianova, who's like telling that Chris Krebs who did a really admirable job, University of Virginia graduate, went on to run the cybersecurity administration. <laughs> Guys, really? Went on to run the cybersecurity administration for Homeland Security. Says he should be drawn and quartered and executed. And then you have Michael Flynn coming out that says uh, Michael Flynn and Roger Stone. You remember, of course, Roger Stone. Get me Roger Stone, the guy with Richard Nixon tattooed on his back. They both are now saying that Trump should declare martial law. So in the now less than seven weeks we have before the inauguration, you know, 
that virtually anything could happen. We've got the defense appropriation bill coming up, which has been passed by Congress for the last 59 years in a row to provide funding for the military, including a 3% pay raise for our uh, troops across the world. And Trump wants to hold that up because of something called Section 230, the Communications Act, which basically absolves responsibility from companies like Twitter and Facebook and others for the content that people post online. And what's so interesting about this, Mike, is that this, if we got rid of Section 230, there's not... Ted, what is... I wish I, I wish Ted could, could speak uh, a language besides dog. Ted, chill! I can't hear. He's totally deaf, and I'm yelling at him. But if Section 230 was repealed... It would probably help the Democrats because there would be more things deemed inappropriate by the Republicans than by the Democrats. So it's just a wild world that we're living in here. And then, of course, the government's going to run out of money, I think, on December the 11th. So they have to get at least some kind of temporary spending bill to get through there. And, of course, we still haven't had any additional checks since we had that $1,200 stimulus check many, many months ago. So there's plenty of work for Congress. And wow, is Joe Biden going to have his hands full, his Mm. table set with so many issues when he uh, does come to power? Can you tell us why China and Iran want Biden for president? I don't think they want. They want what's best for their interest. And let's face it, uh, Trump was always going after Iran as the boogeyman, the great boogeyman. And I think Biden believes that if we could have a stabilized Iran, and right now, of course, you have the issue with the inspectors going in there, Iran saying they may not allow them in February, that um, they want things stabilized, the Biden administration. Trump, of course, flame throwing with his uh, rhetoric that you have out there. So I think these countries really don't care who is president of the United States. They care about what is best for their independent nations. And I don't know really whether there's one preference or another, but it would seem logical that uh, Iran would be in favor of Biden simply because the rhetoric is not as hot and we can turn down the flame a little bit on the on the stove that we've got going on. Of course, there's still talk that we've heard that um, it is final days out. I mean, You've got Trump salting the earth on his way out there, that there still could be some kind of military action against Iran. And, of course, with the troop pullouts in Afghanistan, we've shut down a host of bases there. I mean, I tell you what, if I lost or had a relative severely injured in the many, many years of the Afghan war, someone who was born, excuse me, someone who was born the day the United States went into Afghanistan, That person would be old enough to fight in that conflict now. So it's basically a waste of time and a waste of lives if we let the Taliban go back into power in Afghanistan. And Trump's just like, "Eh." so who knows what he's going to try in his next, um, you know, last seven weeks here in office now. Less than seven weeks as the clock keeps ticking. What do you think about Biden's uh, attitude uh, to China? Trump had a hard line on China. Uh, do you think? Do you think Biden will continue that? Well, you got to. You, there are certain things you've got to stop. You've got to stop the uh, technology espionage, the stealing of all our uh, trade secrets that we've got going on. So it's a difficult situation, as you know, being there in Australia 
with the situation that's uh, happening now. I mean, I think China, being the monstrous nation they are, and Australia being so much smaller, feels that uh, they are the power player. And I know folks, I know my uncle tried this years ago, decades ago. He tried to live a Chinese-free life because he was in the technology industry working in Europe, and he just saw what ruthless and difficult competitors the Chinese were. So he tried to eliminate Chinese products, and you just can't do it. There's almost no way that you can survive in a modern technology society without uh, China. I mean, you can get your phones from Korea. You can buy an LG phone from Korea. But uh, how do you make it without China? So in many ways, China is in the driver's seat, especially for the smaller nations like Australia. And it's just a a battle going forward. It's a yin and yang. And uh, we'll hopefully see calmer heads prevail. And I think that's what we're we're seeing with some of the cabinet appointments that we've seen from Biden. For instance, Janet Yellen taking over at the uh, Department of Treasury. She was, of course, chairman of the Federal Reserve. And of course, Trump has such a problem with women, which is so interesting. He just doesn't like powerful women. So he axed her. And uh, it's kind of sweet revenge for Janet to come back in at such a uh, high profile position. Of course, in Washington, you have the White House and then right next door to the White House is the Department of the Treasury. Mm. Interesting times, as you once said, uh, quoting from a great Chinese person, which I have no idea, but probably Confucius or someone. May you live in interesting times. Interesting times. Uh, But wouldn't it be nice? And, you know, you've got that. What is the song? The Art of War song? How do you print it? I don't know his other surname there. But the song too with the art of war. Yeah, the Chinese are very good at mm. it. They've been doing it a long time. And you can't, dis- can't to discount their strategies and their wherewithal for getting things done. They are a power player. And it's going to be key to the Biden administration how they, uh, they get through all of this. Because let's face it, as we just discussed, it's tough to live without China right now in our world. Yeah, the great global reset, it's happening. The um, Nice, though, to have some peace and quiet for Christmas and the way uh, Joe would like it to happen, but the states are implementing it, that you'll have this long, dark winter starting probably yeah. at oh. the start of winter. But you'll be yeah. right. You've got your fly spray. You've got, you've got all your supplies from the, uh, the supposed lockdown, if there was going to be one happening, if Trump had got in and whatever, but he hasn't. So you've got your fly spray, no bugs and Kirk. You've got plenty of food there. You've got the dogs to talk yes. to. You've got the yes. geese. What more? You're living the dream, aren't you? Well, we have a tiny oasis here in the Mojave, which is windy and cold. If you haven't spent any time <laughs> in the desert, it can be mild in the daytime. And at nighttime, ooh, baby, it can get cold. But no, I prepared ourselves here. And I'm not willing to give up on the supplies yet. I want to see Biden get in, see things calm for a month. I mean, because you've got these people out there, a number of these militia groups have said, we're just waiting for the word from Donald. Donald tells us we're going in the street. And, you know, it's one of the, one of the great mysteries of life. I used to, as a younger man, watch and listen to the audio, just read the subtitles, don't know that many words in German, and watch the Hitler speeches. And I used to see these enormous crowds, and I think, how how can so many people be in rapture of this man, this short little man who's, who's just 
spewing hate. Mm. And here we have our own American version of it. It really is an enlightening experience. I don't really understand. I think we probably need to get you need to get some sociologists on the show to explain how this person can can create such loyalty among so many millions of Americans. I think of many people, it's all related to fear. Mm. I think that's the bottom line that we've got is fear. Because when I was growing up, even in the nicest neighborhoods, there weren't gated communities. You could walk up to anybody's door. And that was outside of Washington, D.C. More and more, especially here in a place like Las Vegas. Las Vegas is known for fences. That's a fence between us and our neighbor behind us. But what you have is you have these gated communities, which I call pseudo-security because really you can get in if you want to. People are so fearful. There's one right on the frontier. I was out to one of my many jobs occasionally about delivering packages, and I was out there with this guy, and I, I saw him, and I said, why, why do you have a gated community out here? What are you keeping out, the coyotes? I mean, that's about the only thing that's going to show up. And the guy was saying, no, no, we didn't have these gates. We'd have Mexicans up here in pickup trucks stealing our furniture. And I'm like, dude, what kind of fantasy were I didn't say this. I said, mm. OK, if that, if that's what you think. Mm. I mean, it's like, dude, what are you thinking? What is your reality? Your reality is not my reality. And that's a big problem in the United States. We have two separate realities. And how as a nation we can bring them together. I have no idea. Mm. It is going to be an incredibly difficult challenge. But, you know. I like Kamala, the uh, vice president-elect. I've seen her uh, at a rally. I've been, you know, haven't really chatted with her, but I like her. I have chatted with Amy Klobuchar, who, of course, was one of the presidential candidates. And I think there's some good people there. But the, a big problem is a lot of times you don't get your best and brightest in politics. And I'm sure it's the same way in many other countries because it is so intrusive. It is so demanding. And one of the crazy things before we wrap up, Mike, one of the crazy things that's happening is, you know, we've got this Georgia Senate runoff that's taking place um, coming up in January, January 5th. And it's just a sidebar. We had Mark Kelly uh, sworn in as the senator from Arizona today. Mark Kelly, amazing guy. He was the astronaut up on the uh, uh, space shuttle for a year, married to Gabby Giffords, who had the assassination attempt against her maybe, what, eight, ten years ago now, and is now a member of the Senate. So that's remarkable. The Senate right now at 5248, these two Georgia seats are going to be key. But you've got people like the Trump sycophant lawyer, Sidney Powell, down there in Georgia saying, how can we trust the election? So it's like, this election is a fraud. You've got You've got the Georgia election officials who are Republicans going out and saying people are going to get killed if you don't tone down the rhetoric. So you've got all these uh, campaign people saying the election was a fraud, the election was a fraud. But, yeah, go out and vote for these Republicans. It may bite them in the derriere, Mike, because uh, with all this talk about how the election is not secure, that could swing things to the Democrats. And if the Democrats take those two seats, it's a whole new ball game. This race in Georgia, it may only be one of 50 states, but it is going to many ways determine 
the success of the Biden presidency, what happens with, with this election? And the amount of money being thrown into this is simply mind boggling. I was talking to one of my friends in Georgia, and they said that is basically all that is on television are commercials for these uh, candidates. So it's nonstop politicking. And by the way, this weekend, it looks like Trump is going to be down there in Georgia near my near my town, near Clientville, Georgia. It's an exit off I-75. He's going to be down there near Valdosta, which is close to Clientville, for a rally. So that is going to be quite something to see. Not often do I watch a Donald Trump rally, but he's basically been hiding out in the White House, of course, tweeting like a madman, sending all these video clips of ONN or whatever it is that he's there watching. I mean, the tweets are just amazing. And uh, it's going to be fascinating to see what he says, how many people show up, the reaction of the crowd. So it looks like that is going to be happening this weekend, a couple of days from now. Interesting. And you often see blooper tapes. They have um, like a child running in or a dog coming in barking or something. And they, they say that's a blooper tape. But with us, that's our normal programming. Normal show. <laughs> that's right. We're, we're waiting for a cyclone and maybe the ducks will fly past you. We have well, you those. You hear the police in the background. You hear the police? I can too. They're coming for you. <laughs> they are coming for you. No. Sorry, Kirk, they're not police. They, they've been defunded. So uh, we have no police. We have people running around no. making noises we like police cars. Allocate assets. Defund the police, I will say. And even Barack Obama was out today saying yeah. a horrible slogan. When I first heard that, I said, are you people crazy? I think that really hurt the Democrats in a lot of congressional and maybe even some senatorial races, mm. because that is not what people want to do. When you have someone in a mental health crisis, you don't need to send the police. You need to send mental health experts. You don't generally send the police when there's a fire. You need to have reallocation of duties. And there's a lot of times that police are not the best person to be the first responder. Clearly, when there are gunshots in the middle of the street, as we've had here a couple of times, police are your best and first choice. But there are times if a guy's just having a breakdown, mm. there are times when there is a, a mental health worker would be much, much better to send out than a police officer mm. who could just escalate the situation, as we've seen happen, unfortunately, many, many times. It was a terrible slogan. I hope they come up with mm. something new, but there are many people that are too invested in it and sticking with it. I think it's a good sentiment, but the message was projected terribly. If you've got a slogan that you have to then spend 10 minutes explaining like I'm doing now, I think it's a terrible slogan. Mm. The, uh, just just as, as we wind up, uh, Robin Williams once describing the English police compared to the American police. And he said, the English police will say, stop, or I'll say, stop again. That's right. <laughs> and that's about it. Kirk Clyde from uh, Tinseltown, <laughs> from Glitterstripville, from the Glitter desert, yeah. uh, from the duck paradise, and where the dogs go Amazing. nuts. Always a that's pleasure. Always a pleasure. Now that we've wrapped up, they've, they've quieted down. Isn't that remarkable? And that's it for Asia Pacific Today, Friday, December 4, 2020. I'm Mike Ryan.